Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. We're going to go ahead and dig into chapter 10 here. Uh, This is the second half of our two lessons on speaking the truth in love. And if you remember from last week, uh, i got to find the right page here. There we go. Uh, If you remember from last week, lesson nine, uh, we talked about the comfort and the call of the gospel, right? So when we come to people and speak the truth, Uh, The goal is not to just beat them over the head with our opinion or our perspective or the thing about them that really annoys us, um, but that we come as an ambassador of Christ, right? So I come as God's representative uh, to try to help this person. This is not about me. And that I come with the gospel truth, right? And so we talked about the comfort of the gospel. If you remember, that's the fact that God offers me forgiveness in Christ. So as I am about to hear about my sin, it's encouraging to remember God's perspective that while it is wrong, he also is offering forgiveness through the blood of his son. And that's really comforting. We also talked about the call of the gospel, which is that because he offers forgiveness, then that grows my my love and understanding of the, the kindness of God which leads me to want to change, right? So we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. The love of Christ compels us. Uh, I want to live differently. I want to live in a way that pleases him because of what he's done for me. Uh, He's forgiven me so much. Why would I not want to live for him, right? So there's both comfort in the gospel and then there's a call to actually change. And so that's so helpful because uh, it's in the kindness of God that we're drawn to repentance not only the uh, desire to repent, but the, the, the hope that there is hope for change, but also the power to change as well. So that's a little review from last week. Uh, and for the sake of time tonight, we have a lot to cover, so I'm actually not going to quiz you on your homework. Uh, I hope you are working on your homework. I really, that's sh- a horrible teacher move. I should be asking you to prove you did your homework somehow, but you get a free pass tonight, so. Uh, we're just going to dig into uh, to chapter 10. What we want to do tonight, we talked briefly last week about the steps of confrontation, but tonight we're going to dig further into those and think through specifically how is it that we help someone to see their sin. Uh, we mentioned last week we want to be instruments of seeing, like we want God to use us and the the mirror of Scripture to help the person see their sin, to have their eyes opened to the fact that there's a huge smudge of chocolate cake on their face or whatever it is. Um, Instruments of seeing and then also be an agent of true repentance to help them see what it looks like to turn from that sin. So it's not just, oh yeah, I have chocolate cake on my face but to actually say, hey, let's, let's find a rag and some soap and let's wash it off, right? Let's work on this together. Let's make some changes. Uh, we're not just recognizing that it's there, but we're good. let's do something about it together, right? And, and as a friend, helping the person through that process. All right, so a few concepts and objectives as we think this through tonight. Um, 
Uh-oh. My clicker's not. Oh, there it is. Perfect. Uh, the progressive steps of confrontation are consideration, confession, commitment, and change. We'll talk about those four things a number of times tonight. Hopefully they stick in your head. Uh, they're not too hard to remember. Uh, but we want to consider what the problem is, confess that we were wrong, commit, like that's understanding what needs to change, and then the actual change. That's how. How am I going to change? Personalize. These are things we need to be doing in our own life. Am I committed to putting off things that are wrong and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? And then related to others, I must be committed to a process of speaking the truth to others that encourages lasting change. Uh, so again, uh, how do we do that well, successfully, um, helping people see their sin and grow to change? I loved his opening illustration here, uh, how... Actually, confrontation is a part of our lives on a regular basis. We tend to think of it as this really scary thing that none of us would ever do um, because you have to tell somebody where they're wrong. But this example is just a good reminder that we actually are okay with this kind of thing in some contexts. Uh, so, so listen to this. We, we all confront one another every day. A mom goes to wake her daughter for school and confronts her about the condition of her room. A brother confronts his sister who took something from his room without permission. A wife confronts her husband about his distance and busyness. A neighbor confronts her neighbor about the way he spoke to her children. A pastor confronts a wayward man in his congregation. A driver confronts another driver in traffic. <laughs> a consumer confronts a store manager about his deceptive advertising. A married child confronts his mother about her interference in his marriage. Confrontation is much more regular part of our daily lives than we often think. The question in the midst of all this confrontation is, whose agenda are we following? This is key. Whose agenda are we following? Why are we confronting? If it's something we want strongly enough, we're actually not all that afraid of confronting if it serves us. Right? We'll do it. We'll say, we'll say something to people. Right? How many times have you been at a restaurant? Well, I'm going to say something to the server, right? Or I'm going to say something to the owner. Yeah, we've all been in those scenarios. So if we care enough about it, if it serves ourselves, we're, we're pretty willing to confront. But whose agenda are we serving? And that's where we must be sure that this is about serving the Lord, about pleasing Him. We tend to confront when we, as like miniature kings and queens of our own little kingdoms, uh, when instead we need to be confronting as ambassadors, helping others, see, uh, helping others see themselves clearly in the mirror of God's Word and leading them to real repentance. So that's the first thing uh, that's important with confrontation. Am I serving myself here? Am I just trying to get what I want? Am I just trying to stop this person from being annoying or doing something that I don't like? Or am I here as God's representative, seeking to bring the, both the comfort and the call of the gospel to bear in their life? So let's talk through uh, the steps of confrontation. Uh, here's your illustration. As we learn these steps, we're going to be working with two people named Sally and Jim. Okay, so listen carefully. Uh, this scenario will have some opportunities to give answers and discussion here. Uh, and so listen to their story, Sally and Jim. You are friends with both Sally and Jim. They're not married, they're just friends. 
Uh, Sally has expressed concern to you that Jim has begun to do things that are unbecoming of a Christian. He admits to cheating on his hours at work and to taking office supplies. He has been going to clubs that Sally thinks would make any Christian uncomfortable. Jim also reports a deteriorating relationship with his roommate, and Sally has been hurt that things she told Jim in confidence have been shared with you. She has tried to talk to Jim about his relationship with God. He has told you both that he is discouraged with God. He is thinking about changing churches or even moving away. You are concerned for Jim, you know him well, and you have a relationship of mutual trust. And so you decide to talk with him. So step one in confrontation is consideration. Consideration. The question to ask here is this, what does Jim need to see about himself, God, others, life, truth, change, etc., that he does not now see? And how can I help him see it? What, uh, what has been revealed about Jim so far that we might need to help him see that he does not see? And I can read the story again if you need me to. Some of you have it in your books. I don't have it in the printed notes. Sorry about that. Taking office supplies. Taking office supplies. Yeah, what's the big deal? It's just some paper clips or I don't know. Who knows what he's taking? Good. What else? What is he not seeing that he needs help to see? He's cheating on the time. Cheating on his time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the clubs that he's going to, right? Mm -hmm. Betraying the confidence of a friend. Yes, yep, gossiping or, yeah, betraying confidence, good. Not good, but good observation. Anything else? He's kind of trying to run away. He's going to change churches or move. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so there's some clues that he thinks a change of circumstances will change his situation. Yeah, good observation. He's discouraged with God. Yeah, that, we need to dig into that a little further, right? Because uh, we know God hasn't failed him, so yeah, Carrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Good. All right. Excellent. So that's some of the initial things in confrontation is like what, you know, asking yourself, what is the real problem here? What are they blind to? What are they not seeing about their situation? Uh, And so we want to encourage Jim to look at his behavior and to examine his heart. Uh, He makes a statement here, often their attention focuses on the toughness of the situation and the attitudes and behaviors of others. Uh, Believe me, when you talk with people in these scenarios, they'll want to talk about how hard the circumstances are and what other people did that were so evil and wrong, and they'll have no idea. They'll be completely blind to their own actions, their own uh, complicity in the situation. So here are some things uh, that we can ask. I think he has five questions laid out here. Uh, that are helpful uh, when we help them consider. And the goal is to get them to examine their heart. 
So let's go down through these questions here. First of all, what was going on? Now you may remember in the chapter when we talked about gathering information, uh, that was in the love chapter, or excuse me, the know chapter, we're seeking to know the person. We had those four categories of information. The first one was the situation. What's happening? What's going on? This fits in this first question. What's going on? Uh, we want to know what his circumstances are. We're not trying to just ignore those things and you know, immediately whack him over the head with what he's doing wrong. We want to hear from him. We want to get feedback. Uh, and so, hey, tell me more about it. What is going on? What other questions do I need to ask? Next, we might ask, what were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? So here, we're going from circumstances now to the person's thoughts, their, their, their reactions in their heart, um, and help, trying to help them see that they are doing something. Maybe they haven't even taken action yet, but they are responding to the situation in their heart and in their, in their thoughts. Uh, a next question you could ask is, what did you do in response? Did they take any actions? What were their reactions? So this person did this, you know, how did they respond? How did they react? And this, again, helps them to see that their heart leads to their actions as opposed to the actions of somebody else. So sometimes uh, you might hear people say something like, well, he made me angry, right? Um, but if you ask that middle question, what were you thinking and feeling when they did that, you help them to see that there's actually something in between their actions and their anger. It's their thoughts and their heart response, right? So again, it helps people to see that, ah, their actions didn't actually control me, right? Her words might have resulted in my getting angry, but she didn't make me angry. He didn't make me angry. That was a choice I made and how I responded to what they said, right? So these questions can kind of help to reveal that, um, that we're not just victims of other people's words and actions. We're actually in control and our, our heart responses uh, are what we need to see. And then finally, why did you do it? Why did you do it? This gets even further into the heart to motives. So I was angry, and so I yelled at her, why, why, why did you, why were you angry? Why, you know, so you're asking that motive question to get further down into the heart. Well, she insulted me. Ah, so this is about you and your pride. And oh, now we're getting down to the root of things, uh, what the real problem is here. So those questions can be helpful. The last question he suggests is what was the result and this helps people to connect the consequences they're experiencing back to their actions rather than the actions of others. So you're kind of going from circumstances, their thoughts and feelings, their responses, the actions that they took that resulted from their thoughts and feelings, uh, and leading then all the way to their consequences so that they're beginning to see, oh, there's trouble in this scenario, not just because of her words. There's trouble in this scenario because of my heart and my actions. And uh, to, to, to own our consequences a little bit more as we repent of our sin. Any questions on that, that process or those questions and how just asking some guiding questions can kind of begin to lead to 
Oh, I, I'm involved in this as well. So, yeah, Maria? Well, the question why, it just doesn't go very well with me. I feel like why, when, when I am asked why, I feel like people are judging me. Okay, when you're asked why, you feel like people are judging you? Yeah. Okay. So why, I just feel like it just turns me off. Okay, yeah. Um, so that's a good reminder. Maybe there's a, a gentler way to ask that question. Um, so, you know, do you know what your motives were when you did that? Or are you aware of what you wanted? What was, you know, what was your reasoning behind that? Or, yeah, just making sure that, um, yeah, you're asking questions gently. Good. Good observation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mary Lee. I was thinking that, too, because you'd have to know that person really well to get into all those questions. Mm -hmm. I can see them just saying, well, that's none of your business. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, obviously this has to happen with people you have a good relationship with. And in our made up scenario, um, apparently we're told here that uh, we know Jim well and have a relationship of mutual trust. So I guess, I guess Jim is okay with our questions. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, you want to be sure you have good relationship with them. Definitely. Good. Good observations. Um, all right, can you think, here's a little question for you, can you think of a recent situation in which you struggled, got angry, or did the wrong thing? And then think through these five questions. What was going on? What were you thinking and feeling as it was going on? What did you do in response? Why did you do it? And what was the result? And uh, jot down some brief answers. Uh, and then, uh, if you're willing, we'll have one or two of you share the results. Uh, so a time when you were uh, frustrated, struggling, got angry, or did the wrong thing, and then uh, we can share your results. So while you're jotting yours down, um, I will share mine. So uh, the other day, Carrie and I were in conversation, and um, I was frustrated and uh, actually, in the moment of our conversation, I knew that I was frustrated, but I didn't even fully know why. And so uh, it was helpful. I, I just expressed that. Carrie asked a question, you know, what's, what's going on? Is something wrong? I was like, uh, actually, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think what you're sensing in my voice and in my persona is true. Uh, but I actually have no idea why I'm frustrated right now. And uh, so I give me a moment to think it through. And so, um, yeah, with the Lord's help, uh, thought it through and was able to see that um, I was taking something she was doing as controlling and not allowing me to do what I wanted to do. And so questions like this in my own mind were able to help me to see, okay, well, what's going on? Like, what's the scenario here? Okay, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Okay, uh, what am I thinking and feeling? Well, I don't want that to happen, and I want this to happen instead. I think that's what's frustrating me, right? And so then you begin to see what's going on in your heart. What am I doing in response? Well, I'm, uh, I'm getting a little intense here in our discussion back and forth um, because it's not going the way I want it to go. Uh, why did I do it? Well, ultimately, I wanted my way instead of just pleasing the Lord. And what was the result? It created tension in our relationship. Now, praise God, Carrie was gracious and forgave me. But questions like this can indeed help us to 
get beneath the surface. And sometimes in, the, in a moment when we're even we know something's not right, but we haven't even fully figured out, these kinds of questions can help us to see our own hearts and what's going on and uh, to make it right. Anybody else want to share an example? Yeah. I get frustrated when it's hard not to be happy. Right. Yes, good, right. So yeah, you're hoping in something, right? So these are your thoughts, and then that thing doesn't happen, and so there's disappointment and discouragement, and then it becomes a question of what am I going to do with that? How will I respond with that discouragement or disappointment? Will I take it to the Lord and trust Him, or will I try to control the situation, right? And so then our actions begin to reveal, right, who we're serving in those moments. So good, good example, good example. All right, let's continue on here. Number two, the next step is confession. So hopefully, uh, through those questions, the person can begin to understand you know, where they're going wrong, where, where they've gone astray. And uh, here's where then confession becomes important. Uh, the problem here is that we often find confession difficult. All right? We don't want to admit we're wrong. Or even if we do admit we're wrong, we want, like... Uh, minimal damage possible, right? And so it's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Okay, let's move on. Uh, and, and you know, just kind of leave it there. But that's really not what confession is. Um, the word is, obviously, we understand it in English to mean to, to uh, admit to something. But the word itself actually means to agree. And I really like that sense of the word because what we're doing in confession is we're agreeing with God. And uh, let me just explain, this is not in the book at all, so this is just extra. You can jot this in your column or whatever. Confession is not merely recognition. A lot of people think that uh, once they've recognized the sin in their life, that they've done confession, right? Oh, yes, there's cake on my face. Um, but that's not it, right? Because they're still not agreeing with God who... Now, the examples become funny, but if God had said something like, you shall not have cake on your face, it's not enough for me to just say, oh, there's cake on my face. That shouldn't be there. I'm not agreeing with God until I also say it's wrong that there's cake on my face. I'm going to wipe the cake off my face. I don't want it there because God doesn't want it there, right? Again, super silly with the cake illustration, but you understand the idea. So in confession, we are agreeing with God. And it's one thing to just say, yeah, that's there in my life, and I'm just kind of going to go on as is. I know it shouldn't be there, but, you know, whatever. That's really not confession. I've not done anything to agree with God here. So a few notes about confession. First of all, confession is agreeing with God about the sin, and that involves speaking to God. Sometimes we just kind of think that the mental acknowledgement, like in my head, I realized it was wrong, and even in my head, maybe I realized, you know what, yeah, God's not okay with this, and we sort of view that as confession. But the actual act of speaking it to God in prayer is a part of confession. So a few things. It involves admitting the sin, right? God, what I did was wrong. You call it iniquity, and that's what it is. It was a lie. It was, right, we, we like to, like, soften the things. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. It wasn't exactly the truth. 
Right? What, is, what would God call that? Right? <laughs> He'd call it a lie. Right. And so we speak to God in terms that he would use. Um, and then it involves abhorring the sin. Right? What's God's view of sin? He's not friendly with it. He hates sin. And so this is the perspective I need to take as I confess to God, as I agree with him. Um, David's example in Psalm 51 is a great example of this, if you want to read through that, where he truly confesses his sin to God and abhors what he has done, um, as God does. He adores the Lord. So instead of previously loving his sin, he now abhors his sin and he adores the Lord Jesus. In David's case, it's his, his God. Uh, in our case, we love Jesus specifically because of the gospel, right? So here's where we go back to the comfort and the call of the gospel. This is a beautiful part of confession, is that we're also remembering that Jesus has paid for what I did. And so while I am hating the sin that I committed, I'm also at the same time loving my Savior more because I'm realizing that this horrible thing that I committed, that I know that God hates, it was while I was still that sinner that Christ died for me. And so in hating my sin, I'm actually loving my Savior more. Whoa! I know a little bit more of the huge cost uh, that Jesus paid for me on the cross. And, uh, and, I, and I end up and I'm loving my Savior more. Now, we would never sin on purpose in order to love Him more, but it's one of the beautiful things that God has built into the process of confession. That as I bow before the Lord and humbly abhor my sin... A side result is that I end up loving him more because he's forgiven me more. <laughs> and uh, I'm so thankful for his forgiveness. So that's a beautiful part of it. I end up adoring the Lord Jesus more. And then finally, to ask for his help. To ask for his help. Confession involves change. I mean, just think about it. It's built into it. If I'm genuinely going to say to God, what I did was sin, it was wrong, it put Jesus on the cross... I hate it, I don't want it anymore, and I love you more for what you've done for me. To stop there and say, but I don't want to change, doesn't make any sense, right? It's just, it, it, it has to involve change. And so of course, as I'm bowing before the Lord, Lord, help me to be different. I don't want to do this ever again. Help me to change, help me to grow, help me to live differently. Um, I want to turn away from this sin. So those are four parts of confession that I think are really helpful. Uh, again, not in the book. Feel free to jot those down if you want. Um, but as we talk to the Lord and seek to turn from our sin, I think those things are beneficial. The person may also need to be reminded of the importance of confessing to the people who have been affected by the sin. So my sin against God will often hurt people. So in my example, in my relationship with Carrie, right, I was frustrated. Who was I sinning against? God. But because I was sinning against God, my sin was hurting her. Right? She was bearing the brunt of my frustration. And, uh, and so I needed her forgiveness as well. Uh, and so who has my sin affected? I need to talk to them too. All right, commitment. This is step number three. Step number three. This is asking the question, where is God calling the person to radical new ways of living? So here we're back to Jim. 
Uh, let's think about Jim for a moment. Where is God calling Jim to radical new ways of living? What do you think? You remember Jim? Do we need to read the story again? Any thoughts? Honest at his workplace, yes. And who, to whom might he, this goes back to confession, I guess, but to whom might he need to talk about what had been happening at work? His bosses, his bosses yes. And Jim says, are you sure? <laughs> Do I really need to talk to them? Yeah. What else? Oops. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to trust God with what He's allowed in my life. And yeah, so big change in His heart towards God and His thinking towards God. Right. Right. Good. Other ideas? All right, we'll keep going. He needs to change a few other things too, though, so we're not, we're not affirming the rest of his problems here. But. All right, so commitment to change. This leads to number four, which I already put up there, the change itself. And this is where, as, as friends, as people who are committed to loving them and speaking truth in their life, we want to walk with them through this process of change, right? How many of you, well, no, that's not a fair question. I won't ask that, but... Think through your life and the times that things have changed in your life. Uh, how often was it an overnight, like, boom, 180 degree, yeah, that's right, 180 degree turn, completely opposite, like, just overnight, as opposed to how many times was it a process where you took steps and little by little you made progress and things changed? Uh, just think that through. I don't know about you, but for me, yes, there are a few, maybe 180 degree changes, but the vast majority of change in my life has happened in stages and steps and process. That's how our sanctification works, right? We, we don't become Jesus overnight. God, little by little, helps us to see our sin and helps us to grow and change. Um, and so there, there's a lot of patience in working with people, but in this process, in step number four, you're laying out specific plans to make changes, to apply it. So the commitment stage is where we recognize what needs to change. Number four, this is where we come up with a plan. How is this going to change? Practically speaking, how are we going to do this? And again, there's give and take here. This is where you're, you're patient and gracious, right? So you say, okay, well, this needs to change. This needs to stop. And the person says, well, I don't think I can do that. Okay, what's one step we can take? Like today, right now, what can you do? It's like eating an elephant, right? You look at the elephant and you're like, I can't eat the elephant today. Okay, well, let's take a bite. Let's just start there, right? At least I'm not rejecting God and saying, I won't eat the elephant. Let's just start by taking a bite and see what God does with that. Tomorrow we'll take another bite and I'm right here with you. I'll eat some elephant too, okay? And uh, this is how we help people to practically make change, not just to say, yeah, I really need a change in that. This one, um, I do this all the time when I sit under preaching. 
I get to the commitment stage, but not the actual change stage, right? You come away from a sermon, you're like, oh, super convicting. I knew exactly what I needed to do, right? And then, you know, the next day is kind of the same, right? You don't actually do anything about it. Uh, and it feels really good sometimes to be convicted, a good convicting sermon, but do, am I actually doing anything about it? Am I actually taking any bites of the elephant here, you know? So this last step is really important. <laughs> is it a chocolate cake elephant? <laughs> yeah, I, sorry about my strange <laughs> metaphors. It was, it was a chocolate cake elephant. How did you know? I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that, is our, that is our metaphor for tonight, the chocolate cake elephant. Anyway, you get the idea. All right, just to review. Uh, oh, oh, lasting change is not merely new personal insight or verbal commitments. So sometimes we just like to say, yep, here's what I'm going to do. This is my new commitment. Think of like uh, New Year's resolutions, right? Where it's just kind of like, yes, this year I'm going to be different. And then January 2nd, it's back to the old me. We actually need to apply these things. Uh, see, do I have anything else there? Oh, yeah, daily uh, is a key word there. Applying these things daily. Uh, next slide, These are, this is just a review of the four steps. I wanted you to have those uh, all in one place. Consideration, confession, commitment, and change. All right. Learning to confront biblically. Uh, in Scripture, as we look at Christ's example for us, the most often uh, the style of confrontation we could call interactive confrontation uh, where the confronter stands alongside the person, helps them to see the problem, maybe even tells stories, uses metaphors, asks questions, draws out answers. So there's, there's interaction back and forth there. Our minds in confrontation often go to the like, direct, like, you're wrong and you need to change, but there's often conversation there. And so that's what we see Christ doing a lot in his parables uh, and so forth. There's a lot of good examples of that. And so he encourages us to start with interactive confrontation. This involves two-way communication. Invite them to talk. Give feedback. You remember some of our earlier lessons. If we just walk in and say, here's where you're wrong, uh, we probably have some misconceptions. We probably don't fully understand the situation. And so it is good to get feedback and interaction. This also involves the use of metaphor. Uh, looking for things in the person's life that illustrate the truth. Jesus did this all the time. In fact, a lot of his parables were intended to teach a lesson about sin, to help people see their sin. But he used a story, he used a parable to help people get it, for it to click. So brief discussion here. Can you think of parables or metaphors that Jesus used to help people see their sin? What are some of the stories or word pictures that Jesus used to help people see their sin? Anybody think of some examples? Jason, yeah. Speck in the eye versus the log in the other. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, that was not a literal example, right? Yeah. Good. Yes. Harder for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Yeah. Right. What else? Good Samaritan, yeah. So a story 
that helps us to see what love looks like and really convicts us like, ooh, I'm not loving that way. Right. What else? Good. Great examples. They're all over, right? If you start to think about it, you realize, oh my goodness, there are tons of these where Jesus uses story, uses metaphor, uses word picture to help us understand sin and to, to grasp it a little better. Uh, and so he gives some tips here to do this with people, thinking about things they understand, things in their background, places they've lived, right? Maybe they love the mountains, so how can the mountains point to God's character, for instance, or things they've done for a living, right? So Jesus often talked about uh, sheep and shepherds or farming illustrations. Why? Because the people he was around, they understood these things. They were pictures that they got. So think of the person you're working with. Uh, what metaphors would mean a lot to them? What word pictures would they, would they get, would they connect with? This also might involve self-confronting statements. Listen for these as you ask questions. People will say things to you that they don't hear, okay? Um, so I think I wrote that example here. Oh, okay. So maybe they're talking with you and they say, well, yes, I guess as I was talking with them... Uh, I guess what I said wasn't completely true, uh, but they just, and then they continue on. What they did there was they just admitted something really important. It's, it's what we would call a self-confronting statement. They just didn't hear themselves. And so what you can do in those scenarios is just repeat it back to them. Now, you just said something significant there. You just said to me that your words weren't completely true. What would God call that? Right? Or you know, something along those lines. And what you do is, you know, really, you didn't even have to say anything. You're just helping them hear what they just admitted that they'd kind of been justifying or ignoring. And you put it in terms that become really clear to them. Oh, actually, God's word for that is it's a lie, right? So uh, self-confronting statements can be a part of that. And then finally, uh, a summary and again, many, many times repeating their thoughts back to them in an organized fashion. Here's what I'm hearing from you. Here's what you're telling me. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of acting as a mirror, almost like the Word of God does in those scenarios. There are other times, uh, there's another kind of confrontation that we could call declarative confrontation. And this is the one we often have negative connotations with. Uh, it's, it's rarely needed, but there are times for this. He says that uh, to minister to individuals who are stubborn, rebellious, and proud, uh, they often will not participate in the give and take of interactive confrontation, and they need to hear, this is what God says, and then also repent. And so there is a place for that. And we see Jesus do that too. Um, oftentimes, you know, he had... With the Pharisees, for instance, he had tried confronting them with stories, with parables, and they just continue to reject and continue to reject. And so there comes a point in uh, the Gospel of Luke or in the Gospel of Matthew where it's, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you do this and you do this. And Jesus is just very forward with them about their sin. Well, it's not that he you know, was just, just angry. He had, he had done the other methods with them many times before, told them stories and told them metaphors and parables and so on and so forth, drawing them out, and they had rejected it over and over again. So we're encouraged to begin with interaction uh, and, if necessary, move to that declaration.
All right, let's close in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and uh, I want you to notice, be ready to discuss what you learn about confrontation from this story, and specifically what you might maybe notice in relationship to what the, the book has talked about tonight. Okay, and I think this is our, yeah. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 14. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had, brought, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate his, his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd and to prepare, for one, of the, uh, prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun." For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child, also who is born to you shall surely die. And Nathan departed to his house. So, what did you notice about that passage of confrontation there in 2 Samuel 12? Hmm? Use metaphor. Use metaphor, yeah, story, right. What else? Who's direct? Pretty direct, yeah. Pretty direct. Yes, there are consequences to sin, right. Anything else? The Lord's mercy, yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Good. Yes. Yes. 
It wasn't just the actions that were wrong, but what he did towards God that was wrong. Yeah. And David got it. Like later he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Speaking of the Lord, right? Like he, be, like he did sin against the people too, right? Uh, he did because he sinned against God, right? So he hurt people in his sin against God, right? Right. Good. Good observations. There's a lot more we could observe, but you did a great job. All right. That's all we have time for tonight. Uh, so I will close briefly in prayer. You have your concepts, personalized ideas, and related to others listed there in your notes or in the book. You'll have to go through those on your own time. Uh, let me close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness that your word does indeed uh, cut to the heart. Uh, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And uh, you help us to see our sin. May we be a people who are quick not only to see our sin, uh, but to confess it, to agree with you about what it is, to hate our sin, and to, to cling to you for help. Uh, we thank you for the forgiveness of Christ. May we love him more day by day by day as you help us to see our sin. We thank you for Jesus and for your forgiveness, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.